If you've, been, if you've never heard of Nate Larkin or never read his biography, it's in a, a book with a terrible title, Samson and the Pirate Monks. But uh, Nate has, I think, the most fascinating biography of any preacher I've ever read. He, uh, he was a pastor, uh, kind of a, a real young, independent, uh, Pentecostal pastor who uh, was planning a church, and he and his, you know, his children would be on the front row every Sunday, and uh, they were building this church up. And while they were building this church up, on his way to the Christmas Eve worship service, he was driving by himself. He had to get there early. He saw a girl hitchhiking with a real thin jacket, and it was freezing cold outside. So he pulled over to give her a ride, and she propositioned him. And he said yes. It just so happened he had the exact amount of money in his pocket intended for the offering plate that she asked for. And so he said yes. And uh, after they were finished, he went on to the worship service, and his wife and his children all came up to him and gave him a huge hug. And he said, every, uh, he said those hugs felt like knives going through my soul. I knew I had crossed the line, and I knew I was going to do it again, and I was right. And that started what was about a 10-year uh, just crippling addiction for him. And he tried everything to get out of it. He tried every book, every uh, magazine article, every prayer, every thing that was you know, offered online, and nothing would help him until he found... Uh, until he was willing to go uh, to, a, to an Addicts Anonymous meeting. And he found out that there, really the key was his relationship with his mentor. Would he have a relationship with a mentor and, and talk to him? And, and his mentor actually ended up going to the same church that he went to. And, and it, it was always the same for Nate. You know, the first couple of weeks, he'd call him every day, and then slowly... Uh, drift away and drift away and drift away and uh, he saw his mentor one day at church and his mentor said how you doing and Nate said you know I'm, I'm struggling um, that's code as you know and his mentor said well who are you calling when you're struggling and Nate flipped his Bible up in the air and he said I'm calling out to Jesus and his mentor said I'm really sorry to hear that. The next time you call out to Jesus, why don't you dial my number? And that began his path toward healing. And, and really what he demonstrates in this book is this. We can't, once we're ensnared in temptation, definitely, we can't be holy alone. We can't. Only in a community where, that knows each other, a community of people who know themselves, a community of people who know each other, and, and a community of people who know the difference between themselves and each other, only in that kind of gospel community can people, can you thrive in holiness and walk toward grace, walk toward the gospel. And, and that's what I think... Paul is saying to us in Galatians, the end of Galatians chapter 5 and the first of chapter 6, uh, he is saying we have to walk with each other. We have to walk with each other so that 
we can each bear our own load. It's a fascinating text. I can't wait to dig into it with you. Please stand as we read from Galatians. This is the final sermon. We, we really kind of took apart this passage in Second Peter chapter 1. And, and the last two things he exhorts us to in that passage are uh, brotherly affection and love. And so we want to talk today about what it looks like to walk in love. And the Apostle Paul starts his explanation of that this way. He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited or provoking one another or envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. What does it mean to bear each other's load? First, it means to know ourselves, and then it means to know each other. And finally, I believe it means to know the difference between ourselves and each other. So let's talk about that, because we want to be this kind of community. We want to be a community where we are helping each other, where we are bearing each other up. And, and to do that, first of all, he says, you need to know yourself. You don't want to be conceited. You don't want to be provoking each other. You don't want to be envying each other. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. What does it mean to be conceited? It means um, it's this picture, like a, the word picture is like a balloon, basically. It's you're empty, and so you have to fill yourself up with something. And so, what, you know, that's, that's still what it means today, right? An empty, you think, when you think of someone who's conceited, you think of someone who is kind of shallow, and so they have to rely on appearances. They have to rely on something to fill them up, and, and it's always about your neighbor. Conceit is always about your neighbor. It's never about yourself. It's always about what your neighbor thinks of you, and it's competitive. So it's not enough to be smart. I have to be smarter than you. It's not enough to be wealthy. We're all wealthy. If you were to look at the history of the world, we're all like in the top 1%. That doesn't matter. That's not enough. I have to be wealthier than you. It's not enough to be pretty. I have to be prettier than you. It's always a competition. It's always compared to the neighbor, and that's, that's why it leads to provoking each other and envying each other. If, if someone is prettier than me, which, you know, I know where I rank, uh, then it's hard for me to be happy around you if that's, that's all I've got going, if that's all I have going for me. And, and it leads to envying each other and provoking each other because if I can make you angry and I can prove to you that I'm smarter than you or I have more than you. But it's, it's thinking you're something when you're nothing. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. And, it, and what the Apostle Paul says is, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, uh, what, he, what he says is in this entire book of Galatians that we are empty, that whatever you're relying on 
to get you to sleep at night isn't going to be enough. You're not going to be good enough. You're not going to be smart enough. You're not going to be rich enough. You're not going to be pretty enough for long enough. Every day a new wrinkle pops up. And as long as you're relying on that stuff, you're nothing. You're nothing. But this is the beautiful truth. Once you realize you're nothing, you have everything. If in the gospel context, if you are hearing about Christ, if you are hearing, understanding that, that he suffered for us, that he died for us, once we realize that that has nothing to do with how pretty we are or smart we are or wealthy we are and that it's real, once we realize that we have nothing, we have everything. Uh, that's what Christ uh, requires of us. Tim Keller's famous uh, evangelistic statement. All Jesus requires of you is nothing. The problem is, so few of you have it. You just you don't realize that all this stuff you're relying on is nothing. And, and what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 3? He says, look, I had it all. If anyone had a reason to boast, it was me. I was the leader of the Pharisees. I was righteous. He says, if you want to talk about righteousness by the law, I was blameless. Now, I know some of you feel pretty good about yourself. But honestly, is there a single one of you who would say you're blameless? No, of course not. And what does he say? He says, all that stuff I have counted as loss, it's rubbish, and I've counted it all loss for the gain of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ has filled me. Being loved by him has filled me. Uh, John Lynch sent out a message today that says, what if, what if it's true that God doesn't love anyone in the world more than he loves you? What if that were true? Would that change you? Because it's true. If you're in Christ, he has given his son for you. He's given himself for you. He can't give more than that. He hasn't given more than that. He hasn't given more than that to anyone else. I love, um, man, I love Jonathan's um, assurance of pardon today. And I hate that his mic went out because I wanted you to hear those words, and I hope you did. I hope it made you listen more intently because it says, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we had nothing to offer, because of the love with which he loved us, he made us alive together in Christ. Because he loved us right then when we had nothing. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he loved you then. And he gave you Christ then, and he made you alive in Christ then. And if you will rest in that, if you will rest in that, well, then all self-righteousness is gone, and you're able to boast in it. He boasts in Christ, he says. And what that does is it enables you to help everybody else. Bear each other's burdens. Bear each other's burdens. What does it look like to bear each other's burden? It's, it's coming up under someone and propping them up. If you're looking down upon me, you can't do that. And I don't want you to do that. If you're already looking down on me, then helping me only makes you look down on me more. 
I wouldn't accept the help of someone looking down on me. But someone who's with me, someone who comes along and says, I understand. I understand how it feels because I am you. I am just like you. You've got no, your sin has nothing on me. And, and that's true. You know that, right? The Westminster Confession says that there are certain sins are worse than others. Some sins are more heinous than others. And what makes sins more heinous is what, how much knowledge you had. If you're just committing a sin in ignorance, well, you know, it's still sin. But it's much more heinous if you know exactly that why you shouldn't be doing it. Well, who's in this room, whose job is it to have more knowledge than anybody else about sin? It's mine, right? I'm paid for that. That means my sins are more heinous than yours. Great. That's a good thing to know. So, you know, you've always got me to look down on. Um, if you believe that about yourself, my campus minister used to say, when you believe that I know that I'm a worse sinner than you, we can love each other then. We can trust each other then. So then, once we know our sin from a, from a state of just we're nothing but grace, then we, we begin to help each other, bear each other's burdens. We, we bear each other's burdens. What does that mean? You know, I love the... Uh, I love the passage in 1 Peter, where Peter, uh, he entices us, right? He says, cast your burdens upon the Lord, for he cares for you. What does that look like? Have you ever carried that to the next step and said, well, if the church is the body of Christ, then casting my burdens upon Jesus looks a lot like casting my burdens on the church. And we carry each other. The best illustration I've seen of that was uh, a video where I was watching these uh, Army Rangers march. It was like a just ridiculous march. And, you know, the Army, the Ranger motto is we, we go out together, we fight together, and we come home together. And if you don't come home together, then don't come home at all. Like we're together. We're, we're locked in. And one of the rangers who was dehydrating, and he, his head began to bob. And without breaking ranks, without breaking steps, somehow people with much better rhythm than I had start, have start slowly coming up to him and relieving him of his burden. And the first guy grabs his helmet, and the second guy takes that gun, and the third guy takes that pack. And so they're bearing his burden for him, with him, along with him, so that he can complete the mark. And that's what it looks like. And, and Paul says, you know, the worst burden is sin, right? And this is fascinating to me. He says, if anyone's caught in sin, first thing that comes to mind is, you know, kind of behind the, behind the door, hiding behind the door in the kitchen, you know, waiting for someone to grab that cookie jar. Caught you! <laughs> that's not what it means. It, it means if anyone is ensnared in sin. Sin in the Bible has a per personality. It has a power. It, it, that, that's how it's talked about. The very first time the word sin in the Bible shows up, God comes to Abel, and he says, where's your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that question is sort of. Yeah, that's why I ask you. And God says, beware, Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. And it wants to enslave you. That's what it means to be caught in sin. It's the kind of thing that Nate Larkin was caught in. He's ensnared. I love the, the uh, gosh, there have been so many Spider-Mans now. It's hard to 
Remember when Tobey Maguire was Spider-Man? Anybody that old? And you remember the third Tobey Maguire Spider-Man when he was fighting this thing called Venom? It was like this tar that would just kind of come up over him, and he was fighting, and he was trying to push it down, and, and it, it, it was this symbol for jealousy and greed and all this awfulness, and, and, it, and we all felt like that. Like, we've all felt that, right? You, you feel that anger. You feel that jealousy. You feel that, that pull into sin, and you're fighting it, but you know you're going to lose. That's the picture that, that Paul's drawing here. If anyone is ensnared in sin, if anyone is caught, you who are spiritual, help him get out. Walk alongside them. Ask them to, to put your, your, their temptation, their burden on your shoulders. Tell them, tell them what they need to hear. And he, he gives two caveats. He says, do it carefully, lest you too be tempted, and gently. Now, again, we know that that, that can't mean, it can't mean that you're, Self, right? I mean, it can't mean that it's just a, a typical little sin out there. What, what does it mean to be spiritual and to do this gently lest you be tempted? It's not saying, you know, if, if you, your brother's caught in alcoholism, you be careful lest you become an alcoholic. That's, then you know, that just kind of makes it too easy. What are you tempted to do when you begin to talk to somebody about their sin? You're tempted to feel like you're better than them. You're, you're tempted to do this in a spirit of judgmentalness, of self-righteousness. And that's what the whole book of Galatians is about. That's what the whole context of Galatians is about. He's, he's writing this to people who are fleshly, who are trying to prove that they're better Christians. Oh, sure, it's great that you believed on Jesus, but don't just do that. You've got to keep the law and be circumcised. And, and Paul's writing the whole book. Uh, saying to these people who want you to be circumcised and keep the law to say, no, that's worthless. You start it out by faith. You don't finish it by works. And then finally, he turns to the people who are spiritual, who are trusting the Holy Spirit, who are living by faith. And he says, be careful when you restore your brothers because you don't want to become self-righteous too. And self-righteousness is always at the door. It's always at the door. If you had a perfect, gracious quiet time today, if you went to the best church in the world and you, you had a perfect day of worship, what would you be tempted to do tomorrow? Think, I'm awesome and God loves me because of how awesome yesterday was. Whatever lesson you learned today, maybe today is the day you learned that, that faith and repentance is something that, that goes on every day and every day has to be me repenting for not fully trusting the Lord and, and for casting my, my, my burdens upon him and my sins upon him. And then tomorrow, you know what you're going to have to repent of? Repenting the day before and thinking you knew everything because you knew that it was about repentance. We repent every day because self-righteousness is always at the door. It's always at the door. So he says, be careful. Don't be tempted. And he says, be gentle. And this is the question. If you want to put this into action, this is the question. Do you know your neighbors well enough to know when they're ensnared and to know how to get them out? Do you even know if your friends have, have, are struggling with alcoholism, would you even know? If your friends are, are struggling with any other kind of temptation, if they're, they're just eaten up with, with greed and covetousness, would you even know? Or are we 
so caught up in ourselves that we don't notice that our friends are ensnared. And do you know how to restore them? That's hard because everybody's not the same. Gentleness is not the same with everybody. You know that. It's, not, it's like dogs, you know. Some dogs, you look at them wrong, and they start crying, and they run behind the door. And other dogs, you have to be quite stern with and chain them up and hit them with newspapers. Just kidding, Peter. We'd never do that. Um, you know, you have to, some people you have to hit in the nose. Uh, there was a basketball coach at the University of Tennessee. I was fascinated with her, Pat Head Summit. Y'all remember her? Anybody remember her? She was legendary, coached the Olympic team four or five times, won national championships, built a, built a, just a, a dynasty at Tennessee. And um, we once had, back when we met at Regent, we had one of her basketball players start coming to our church. Of course, I can't remember her name now. But um, she started coming to our church, and I was fascinated, and she was cool, and so we would talk a lot. And uh, I would ask her, how did Pat Summit coach you? And she said, when you got, came to the team, your first day on the team, she just confronted you with a list of tests and just question after question after question. And then she would take all those, you know, those diagnostics and biographies. She would take all your material and she would study it until she knew how to motivate you. Because everybody's not the same. Some people you yell at to motivate, and some people, if you yell at them, they go into their shell. And, and you know, so he, she said she would talk to each girl differently. One she would look at and go, your mom is so proud of you for what you did today. And the other one she would look at, you know, another one she'd look at and go, you could have done better. And you know you could have done better. And, you, you know, because I know you, you have a lot of pride in your game. Are you, is, are you proud of this? She just knew each other. Do you know each other well enough that you know how to talk to each other? Are you willing to share yourself with each other enough? I'm not saying you, you know, next community group you hand everybody an eogram and spend the next 14 weeks on whether you're a seven wing one or whatever. Uh, I mean, there's worse things you could do, but I'm not saying you do that. But we do need to get to know each other. We need to ask each other questions and know how to encourage each other. And then Paul, he really confuses the issue, doesn't he, on this last text? He says, because each one of us will have to bear his own load. What does that mean? I, I think it means this. I think it means for me to help you means I help you to understand and I help you to get started on bearing your load because at the end of the day, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ by yourself. It means I have to know where I stop and you start. If, if you're entangled in sin and you come to me for help, and I hope you do, I can encourage you, I can reprimand you, I can give you a course load of stuff to do to, to get yourself out of this, these habits and this training, you've trained yourself to sin, and I can teach you how to train yourself to righteousness, but I cannot do it for you. I cannot do it for you. You have to do the work. You have to call your mentor. You have to take your sins seriously. You have to take the steps. I can give you a boost. You know, if financial mismanagement has been a problem, you know, we can give you a boost, but we're also going to give you a budget. You've got to live with both. 
Because at the end of the day, you have to bear your own load. And that takes wisdom. And it takes, it takes just knowing where I stop and you begin. We used to call that boundaries in the 90s. And then, then we started calling it having a good cell wall. And then we started calling it differentiation. And actually before that, back in the 70s and 80s, we called it codependency. They're all fine words. Whatever, choose one that you understand. They all mean the exact same thing. My tendency is to take responsibility for you, for what you do. In my life as a minister, there have been many times that I have felt worse about someone's sin than they did. And finally I realized that's a problem. Like if I'm crying that this girl lost her virginity and she's not, like I, there's something wrong here. And that's, not how, that's, that's just not how life functions. That's not how we help each other. When I was a lifeguard, I told you I was a bad lifeguard because I never took this in, into account. But if you're a lifeguard and there's somebody drowning, you reach for them. Because the safest way to help someone who is drowning is if your feet are on dry ground, if you're separate from them. The worst thing you do is, well, always the first thing I did, is jump in the water. Because if you jump in the water, you're going to get tangled up in them and you're both going to go down. And I have, to, I have to restore you gently and not be tempted to do that. I've got to keep myself separate so that I can help you. I can offer you help, but ultimately, you're going to have to stand on your own. I think that's what this text means. I did my best. But I absolutely know for sure. He says, if someone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he is deceived. Don't put your trust in your ability to help or your ability not to need help. Make yourself nothing because you are. Realize you're nothing. Get that nothingness that you're missing and come to Jesus with empty hands so that he can fill them with his grace. There is nobody in the world he loves at this moment more than you. Come and experience that love with me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you knowing that we're nothing. It's tempting every day. It is tempting every day to take pride and to puff ourselves up with what we know or what we don't do. And, and we judge ourselves by our neighbors. We find that sin that they commit and we don't commit. And we feel so good about ourselves. Father, would you fill us up with Jesus? Would you give us empty hands so that we can cling on to him with both? We pray in Jesus' name, with all the confidence in the world that you love us. Amen.